Good. All right. Um, it's funny how <clears throat> God kind of prepares your heart before you know you're going to preach. Because um, Tuesday came around, and, and um, God was dealing with some stuff in my heart, and he gave me some words. <clears throat> and then Wednesday came around, and Jim asked me to preach. So God knew I was going to be busy this week and that I was going to have to have a message to preach. And so um, I'm excited to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do today because I know with the lack of sleep, the lack of preparation, and how tired I am, it's not going to be good if it's just me. So, <clears throat> uh, but what I want to do is I want to open with prayer. Um, let's pray for Jim and Joel as they continue to move in that transition. You know, that's if you've moved before, you know it's tough. It's not easy. And let's also pray for the Morn family. They're having a memorial today here at Tea Time, um, just that God will comfort them and be with them through this time. And then also for those who couldn't be here, my wife couldn't be here. Our son's having his first um, birthday today, so she's preparing all that stuff. But um, let's pray for them as well, the people that could not be here. And also pray for me in this message today, because like I said, um, if God's not in it, it's not going to be any good. Uh, so will you just bow your head with me? Lord God, uh, you see our hearts and you see all the things that we carry with us and the burden of um, just representing you and, and speaking with authority and with power. But we know that uh, your spirit changes lives and that you bring the lost unto you. And we ask right now, God, that whatever uh, is facing Jim and Joy and the Morins and, and everything we bring before you, that you will just comfort them and be with them. And those who couldn't make it here today, that you will continue to do a work in their hearts. God, even though they can't hear this message right now, that you can still put this message in their heart. God, um, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so um, <coughs> this message today is going to be called The Dead, the Sleeping, and the Revived. It's going to be a tough message, but um, I'm a coach, and... Friday, we actually had our district track me at the middle school, and 7th and 8th grade boys won district championship, which was awesome. <clears throat> but um, I like to be challenged, and so I've listened to a lot of pastors over the past two to three weeks, including Jim, who just, they challenge you. And as, you know, a coach, I don't think I could be a good coach if I didn't challenge kids. You have to challenge them to be better. And so while this may be a tough message today, I hope that I can challenge you to more pursue God, that you can get closer to Him um, not that I'm trying to be hard and mean, but that my love and passion for you, I want to challenge you to do better. And so, um, you know, before I started um, this message this week, um, I, I was thinking back about the, the last time I preached when I talked about Stephen and how in Acts 6 that uh, the anointing of God was on him and how um, it just changed his life. And while he was stoned to death for Christ, you know, at the end of that, there's a part in the message I just didn't understand, and I started asking God, I don't understand this. And so the last part of that verse, it says that in the King James Version, it says he fell asleep. But in the New, New Living Translation, it says that he died. Well, could it be two words that mean the same thing? Maybe. But um, it made me ask questions. What does this mean, he fell asleep? I don't get that, God. And I don't think God's scared of our questions. If it's questions that are pertaining to getting closer to him, he's not scared of them. Now, I'm not saying ask questions like, God, you really exist, because we know he exists. And if you're here today, I hope that he's revealed himself to you in a way that you know he exists, because he's done that in my life. But these questions that 
he sparks up in you that are meant to draw you closer. And so Wednesday, I didn't sleep very well, and I woke up, and sometimes I listen to a Sermon Index podcast. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but they have a lot of sermons from way back, a lot of different people. And um, sometimes I listen to them, and they, uh, they kind of help me get relaxed, and I go to sleep listening to the podcast. So I thought, I'll put one on. You know, I have this question, but I'm just going to put this message on. Maybe I can get some sleep. And um, <clears throat> the last thing, I don't even remember who I put on, honestly. But the last thing I heard, because I had this question, what does this mean to die? And the pastor said that there's an awesome correlation in the Bible that those who believe in Christ don't really die, but are only sleeping. And if you have the Sermon Index podcast, not the podcast, but the actual app, you know sometimes it cuts off in the middle of a message. Well, right after he spoke, the message cut off. I mean, talk about feeling like the Holy Spirit and feeling overwhelmed. It's like he answers you. You have a question, he answers you. And so uh, those who believe in Christ are not dead but only sleeping, and that made me want to research even more. And so what I did is I looked at Lazarus. You know, when Christ came to the tomb and Lazarus was there, and they said, he's been dead for seven days. He's, he's gone. He can't do anything. And God said, he's not dead. He's only sleeping because he believes in Christ. What about the little girl that he came to heal? They said, she's dead. She can't, you can't do anything anymore. You know, she's gone. He said, no, you have little faith. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And the same thing with, with um, Stephen, you know. It's not that God took his life before he actually died and got stoned, but that because he believed in Christ, he did not die, but he was only sleeping. And so it's just amazing to me that, you know, you ask these questions to God and he will answer you. And in those pursuit of those questions that um, he can make sense of Scripture to you. I mean, so for a long time, I thought questions were bad. You know, you're not supposed to ask questions. Questions get you in trouble. And that, um, you know, it's like you're questioning an almighty God. But I don't think if, here's the way you know that if questions are good or not. If the questions lead you closer to Christ, then they're questions from him. But let's not be mistaken. Even Christ was questioned in the desert when he was tempted for 40 days. If you don't remember that story, he was without food. Um, I don't know if was he without water, but he was fasting for 40 days in the desert with nothing. And that was kind of the before his ministry had even taken place. He was preparing himself. And um, the devil came up to him. He said, if you're really the son of God, why can't you turn these stones into bread? You know, if you're really hungry, just do it. Knowing he could do it because he was the son of God, he chose not to. Because he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of, of God. And then he didn't, you know, there was questions that were tempted to Christ. So you have to be able to recognize the difference in the questions. And then another question he said, you know, if you are truly the son of God, you could throw yourself off this mountaintop and he will give his angels charge and they will take over you and they will protect you. And at least your foot will dash against the stone. But he said... Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He, the devil used Scripture to question Christ, but Christ knew the Scripture even better. Because don't be mistaken, the devil knows the Scripture. The devil knows just as much as, as God does. So if we're not reading our Bibles and praying, I guarantee you those questions will come up which will make you doubt. And so he was tempted a second time. Then the third time came out, he took him on top of the, the temple 
And he said, you see all this land I can give this unto you if you bow down and worship me. And he said, be gone, Satan, for it is written that you should worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so there's these questions that rise up in our lives. But you may ask the question, so are you saying that if I'm asking questions that don't lead me closer to Christ, is it just of the devil? And my answer is no. Trust me, you are not an innocent bystander squashed between the pool of heavenly and demonic powers. For deep down inside your human heart is darkness that will even make the devil blush. That inside each and every one of us, there is darkness to the core. And before I can even continue with this message, we have to lay this foundation that you have no power in your own human capacity. You have no goodness in of yourself. And left to your own demise and questions, sermons, words, life will lead to nothing but death. The humanistic way of just doing whatever makes you happy and feel good is the foundation of human desire, but is the contradiction of what is holy in the Word of God. For the way of the Lord is in conflict with what makes sense to the world. Love your enemies. How many of y'all are just like, oh yeah, let's just love our enemies, that's awesome. Those who, you know, talk bad about you, talk smack behind your back, like, God, I'll love them, but let me just punch them in the face first, right? Amen. (laughs) Knew you'd get amen on that one. What about sitting in prayer? Because that's just totally normal and natural, right? We all just want to be quiet and go away and just sit in prayer. No, that contradicts the world. Healing of the sick, bringing the dead back to life. That contradicts everything we know scientifically about this world. You know, me and my wife were talking, I guess, last week or so. You know, Stephen Hawking died, and he was a profound you know, atheist. He didn't believe in Christ. But science, what he trusted so much in, told him he should have died a few years after he was diagnosed with his disease, which bound him to a wheelchair. But yet he lived to 70-something years old. So science, the one thing he relied on, didn't even answer how he was still alive. It just dumbfounded me. What about the dead race to life? You know, uh, like I said, I've been listening to a lot of Leonard Ravenhill and a lot of other um, tough pastors, Mark Greening. I don't know if you ever heard of him before. Um, But so a lot of the stuff I'm going to say, if it sounds like them, I probably got it from them. These aren't just all my words. Um, But they asked Leonard Ravenhill one time, you know, do you pray for the dead? He said, no, I usually preach to them. You know? Uh, not caring about what you eat, drink, or wear. The Bible is pretty clear about that. But, I mean, that's hard for us humans to do, you know? That's part of our worldly desires, to care about those things. But the Bible says you're not supposed to. It contradicts what makes sense of this world. Giving up your free time to to seek after Christ doesn't make sense. Like, I want to go watch football. I don't want to sit down and pray. That doesn't make sense to me. Or giving all of yourself to Christ. You know, it says that love the Lord your God. This is the one commandment. With all your whole, your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole strength, with everything in you, that's what his commandment is. He wants you to love him. And even when I was preparing this message, um, Briley, who I don't get to see all that much, and I, I learned so many lessons from her. And if you have kids, you've probably learned a lot of lessons from your kids as well. If you just sit and watch them for a while. But um, I have to, you know, go in my room and work on my sermon a little bit. But, you know, many nights 
I get home, she's already asleep. I leave, she's still asleep, so we don't get to see each other all that much. And she would just come open the door, say, Daddy, you done yet? I said, no, not yet. I'll come get you. Five minutes later, she'll come back, open the door. Daddy, you done yet? Not done yet. Sorry, I'll, I'll be in there a little bit. Third time she comes in, she walks all the way up to the bed and just looks at me and says, Daddy, can I just sit with you? And so I was like, yes, you can. And of course, she gets up there and just talks the whole time. But, but the point being, how many of us are, come up to God and say, God, can I just sit with you in this quiet place? Where are the people that just sit with God? You know? We have time to, to sit in our fancy cars. We have time to sit in our fancy houses. We have time to sit in front of the TV. But we don't have time to sit with God and just be quiet. You know, as long as we are of the world and stay of, in the world, these things will not lead us to a long desire in the things that God has ordained. And so another person I've listened to is A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer, you know, in 1964, he passed away, so way long time ago. But um, some of the podcasts and some of the sermon index that I listen to him are so good because it's kind of old school and he talks a lot about farming and he relates to the Bible that, well, that way because it talks a lot about crops and growing. And he said, <clears throat> to determine if a message is inspired by God or by man, you must ask one question and does it bring the people closer to God or does it allow them to keep living a comfortable worldly life? Because there's many people that go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, do everything. They fast, they pray, they do everything religious. But let me remind you, it's not by works you are saved. It is only by grace, right? And so the way he made this distinction is he used scripture in the Bible and he compared about how the plowed ground and the fallow ground. And um, I'm just going to go on this for a brief moment, but it says, you know, those who have been plowed up by the Holy Spirit are ready for growth. They're ready for planting. And if you know what a plow is, it's a little thing back in the day. They would run through the dirt and they would plow up the dirt and uh, then they could go through and they could plant the seeds. So those who have been plowed up are ready for growth from God. But then there's the fallow ground. And he said that, you know, there's a misconception that the fallow ground just doesn't have growth. That's not true because fallow ground is fertile ground. It once was growing stuff, but it's been left. And he said, you know, his dad, there was places on his farm where there had been, they hadn't plowed in years, maybe 10 or 12 years. And so, you know, the trees start to grow, the, the gophers start to bury down in, and there's no way they can plant crops there anymore. It's not that that land's not fertile, it's that it hasn't been plowed up. Because you need the Holy Spirit to challenge you, to break you up, to convict you of sin. I mean, that's one thing we rarely see in the church anymore is conviction of sin. <clears throat> and so overgrowth has taken place in the fallow ground. The groundhogs have been burrowed in. And um, this ground, you know, it can grow, but it just needs some work. And, you know, that's my prayer today that we will not continue just being a church that, you know, where we're happy just playing church, but that we are plowed up by God and that this message will cause questions that will make you seek Him. You know, I recently heard from Leonard Ravenhill that said, it's no wonder people don't want to come to church anymore. 
it's not fun because God's not there. You know, you have dead pastors preaching dead sermons to dead people. What's fun about that? But if God is there, there's nothing more exciting. And so, if you're wondering, you know, well, why are you quoting so many pastors? Are you going to give us a word of your own today? And, and there's a, you know, a time for that. But I think there's a lot of men that have gone before us that have spent time with God, that had a word from God, and that we can just take some of that fruit off that tree every now and then and just eat some of that fruit, and hopefully those seeds will fall down and bear more trees. <clears throat> and so, you know, if there's nothing else that you leave here today with, you know, I want you to realize that we are a dead people in need of a constant plowing of the Holy Spirit. And will you allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to life? It says in the Bible that the old man has passed away, and behold, I make new things, all things new. Um, I was still listening to Leonard Ravenhill, and, and he talks about a lot of people in his sermons as well. But um, one of the people he talked about was William Duma. If you never heard of William Duma, he was a, a South African, African-American uh, Baptist pastor. And he was reading his book called Take Thy Glory, Lord. And so what William Duma did is he came to America and he was coming to some churches. And, and he had experience at the altar where, you know, he came forward and he broke down the pastor came after the service and said, hey, you know, you're, you're that black man at, at the altar. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That wasn't me. And he's like, what do you mean it wasn't you? You're the only black man in here. It had to be you. And he said, no, that wasn't me. That, that man died at the altar. And the, and the pastor was like, okay. He's like, well, is there anything I can do for you? And he says, you can give me a church. And he says, well, I can't give you a church. This is not something I can do. And so he left that church, and he just walked along the road, and he found a little path in the, in the forest, he went down that path, and he found a creek. He walked along the creek, and there was a cave there. And so he went and stayed in that cave. And they said, for 21 days, he didn't eat anything. He just went down the creek, drank water, and stayed in that cave in prayer. And he got a word from God. And here's the humor of God, because God delights in taking things that make no sense and using him for his glory. He took a, a Baptist preacher who, they don't believe in miracle services in the church, they don't believe in that. And they said, you're going to go forth and you're going to heal people. I'm going to give you a ministry of healing because he shut himself up with God for a while and he gave him a ministry of healing. And some of the miraculous things that William Duma would be a part of and led by the Holy Spirit is just remarkable. So he got some of the deacons from the church and they would go to the hospital, which the deacons were normally accustomed to doing, going to the, the hospital and praying for people. And um, they said, what room number is this man? And they said it was like 203. And he said, okay. And they said, wait a minute, that's the morgue. That doesn't make any sense. We can't go up to the morgue. Well, William Duma goes up there. He opens the screen. He lays on top of the body. On the body. He says, in the name of Jesus, come up. And the guy coughs. And now, I don't know about you, but if I did that and the guy coughed, I'd be, you know, hitting the roof. <laughs> but that guy came back to life, and they walked him home. But you, you don't hear about stuff like this. I mean, and then after Ravenhill preached this message, a guy would come up to him at the end of service. You talked about a man named William Duma. He's like, yeah, you heard of him? He's like, I even got a better story for you. That um, 
he had a, a daughter who had a child, and, he's, and you know, he's like, well, what's so miraculous about that? He's like, well, she only had three-fourths of her brain, like a third of her brain had to be, or a fourth of her brain had to be removed, and she couldn't even stand. She could only lay there. She was basically a vegetable state. And William Duma, living two hours away, came and knocked at his door and said, I heard he had trouble in the house. No one told him, but lived two hours away and came to his house and knocked on his door saying, I know you had trouble in the house. And he's like, and he told him the situation, you know, yes, um, I have a, a granddaughter who has this, this, this uh, brain trouble. And so he goes up there and he prays for her. Nothing happens. Prays for a second time. Nothing happens. Prays for a third time. Nothing happens. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to come back. And they're like, all right, you're going to come back. And so he leaves. About four days later, he comes back. And he's like, well, where have you been? He's like, I was in my tabernacle. I was, you know, I locked myself away with God. I think we can go pray for her now. And so they went up there, and they, and they prayed for her, and she stood right up, and perfectly normal. The doctors can't understand it, nothing, perfectly normal. But that man just had a ministry that God had gave him, a Baptist pastor that had nothing, and God gave him a ministry. So if you feel like you're inadequate, that God can't use you, you're the perfect candidate. And so the, the scripture God gave me on Wednesday before... Um, Jim asked me to preach, is Psalms 90, and it's a prayer by Moses. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones and you can get there, you can go ahead and do that right now. But it says, Psalms 90, it's a prayer by Moses, a man of God, and Moses was the same way. I'll give you time to get there, and I'll just talk to you for a second. But Moses lived with the Egyptians. And he was not a well-known man. Yes, he lived in the palace with God, but when he slayed uh, an Egyptian for hurting the Israelites, he fled. He ran away from his troubles. He ran away from his problems. I mean, how many of us today, that's what we always want to do. Like, we have a problem. We just want to run away from it. We don't want to face it, right? But he was not well-known, but God used him And it says he was a man of God. And many times in the Old Testament, it says he would pray so much or he was seeking God so much when he was getting the Ten Commandments that God said, leave me alone. How many of y'all would want to pray so much to God that he says, leave me alone? And so uh, the scripture, Psalms 90, is a prayer for Moses. And this is the the scripture I got even before, you know, I knew I was going to be here when, or when Jim told me to come here. And I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turned people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For For you, a thousand years are a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep away like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that spring up in the morning. And in the morning it blows and flourishes. But in the evening it is dry and wither. We will, or we wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. 
Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is an awesome and fear and the, as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. O oh Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with the unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. And such a powerful prayer there by Moses. And, and um, Psalms 91, I think, is even more inspirational, but I'm not going to focus on that today. But I'm going to simplify it really quick for you. So he created everything. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Time is nothing to him. It said one day is like a thousand years to him. You know, not all of us in our sin. Wait. He sees all of us in all of our sins. And there is an intense anger. Now, some of us, we know God is this loving, patient person. But can I be honest with you? He's probably pretty angry. And Leonard Ravenhill even says, you know why God's angry with America? We've been blessed with more churches than any place in the nation. We've been blessed with more Bibles than any place in the nation or any place in the world. We've been blessed with more... 100,000 ministers across the United States, but yet we see moral decline. We see no resurrection of, of God. So why is he angry with us? He's given us anything we could ask for. And I love the part that says, Oh Lord, come back to us. It wasn't that God had left but he was leaving the, the Jewish people because when Moses had left to get the Ten Commandments from God, they had gone into sin. They had gone into earthly things. And Moses had spent time in prayer with God. And when Moses came down from the mountain, what did they say? Moses, why are you so angry? You left. You know, this is what we did. You weren't here, so we just did what we could. Why are you so angry? Well, he was so angry because he had been spending time with God. And you will change too if you spend time with God, I promise you. Your preaching won't be the same. Your talk won't be the same. The way you live won't be the same. You will change if you spend time with God. And he said, oh Lord, come back to us. And you know, as I begin to talk about revival, I think it's something that we long for, but Many people think, well, revival is just this experience where we can feel good and we can just be with Christ. But revival is not just so we can feel good. Revival is so we can go and seek and, and get the lost so that his glory can be shown. And so when we talk about revival, it's not about us. It's not about us or it's not about this church. It's about the lost finding Christ. And one thing, one common thing that happens when revival takes place 
is there's intense persecution. I think one thing, one reason why we haven't had a lot of revival recently in America is we've become comfortable. You know, in places where they have no Bibles, where they have no, no scriptures, no churches, no million-dollar buildings, they have revival. Because revival is not something you can plan or orchestrate or organize. It's just a quick move of God. It's unexpected. And it will probably come at the most unwanted time. Like, God, we can have revival just not today because, you know, I got to go over there and go move and I got to go do this. I got to go do that. You can have revival any day, but just not today, you know. We want it in our time. We want to orchestrate it. But I'm telling you, when revival takes place, it will come quick and nobody can stop it and nobody can plan for it. It will be the unresistible grace of God. And when revival takes place, you don't have to make an altar call because the altars will be the tables. The altars will be the streets. People will be convicted of sin. And so just reading about, you know, William Duma and... and and how he was in solitude for 21 days and, and just getting alone with God and getting to pray with God and, and seeing the work of God in his life. A Baptist preacher going and healing people. Or Moses, bad of speech, little confidence, and God can use him. I can promise you when revival breaks out, it won't make the national news. You won't see it in the newspapers. But the lost will find God. We will return unto him, and he will return unto us. And I heard a great um, uh, explanation of what revival is. It's when eternity invades time. When God steps down from his heavenly place, and he ascends down on his people once again, people are healed, and you don't have to go and spread the word about it because they'll just come to you. You know, when you look at revivals in the, throughout history, people didn't have to do anything. It just bust church which had five or six people, and it all of a sudden had 200 people show up to it. didn't make any sense. And they were crying, and they were weeping, and they were convicted of sin. How awesome would that be to have that happen again? But... Revival, I believe, is coming, and I think it will come soon. Um, you know, being a track coach, and, and uh, one thing I've started doing, me and Coach Powell, we started praying before every um, track practice, not just track meets, but every track practice. And just seeing the impact of prayer on those kids' lives, like we were at the district track meet, and, you know, it's pretty common sometimes, you know, the relay teams will huddle up and they'll pray before they run. Well, we had some kids, you know, we had 12, 13, 14 kids praying together in a huddle before a race. They weren't even running the race, but yet they were huddled up praying for each other. As a team, we had uh, kids that have transferred over from like Rosenberg and different areas that have had a hard home life. They don't have any money. You know, they're always getting into trouble. They're always late to practice, but we don't give up on them. We keep, you know, encouraging them. We keep praying for them. And one of those kids, the least expected, I mean, he's bigger than everybody else. He could probably beat me up. I mean, he's just huge. But he finds $10 on the gym floor because we had a lightning delay for an hour. He finds $10 on the gym floor, and he says, Coach, someone dropped this. I, I don't know whose it is. And I was just shocked by it because here's a kid who has no money, nothing, always in trouble, the least likely kid you would think would do that. And he did that. And I was just shocked. I don't even know if I would have done that. I would have been like, oh, 10 bucks, cool. 
So there is change taking place, and revival, I believe, is coming. But if we stay comfortable, then it won't. We have to keep renewing ourselves with the Word and with prayer. And, you know, it's like um, in basketball, if you don't know, this year, my eighth grade B team, we won the district championship. But that doesn't even matter. But the fact that how we did it was I constantly had to challenge them to do better. You know, the first time we played Burnett, they scored maybe two points on us. You know, they weren't even close to good enough to us. So we made even a harder goal for next time that they weren't even going to score a point, that they better not even score a point on us. But guess what? Before halftime, they scored like 20 points, and they were within 10 points of us. And so we go into the locker room, and we're furious. You would think we're losing the game because we're yelling at each other, you know, and we're sitting there trying to figure out what's going on. And, of course, we end up winning the game, but you would have thought we lost the game because we made such a strong goal and we had, were so hard on ourselves expecting what we needed that it wasn't good enough for us. We needed more. And when the, the Holy Spirit comes, it says that he's like a, an all-consuming fire. It's not just a pat on the back. It's not just a word. But it's an all-consuming fire where your desire for it is even more and more. And each day it, it grows and, and you just can't stop it. You just want more of him. And so, if you look at uh, the Israelites, what is it said led them? It said a pillar of fire led them through the desert, and a, a pillar of smoke led them by day. But it was fire that fell down in revival. It was fire that led them. And so, let us continue to pray and ask that fire will continue to fall. And I love the last part of, of um, Psalms 90, where it says, make our efforts successful. He didn't say make our lives easy. He didn't say, you know, make it so I don't have any trouble. God, you know, I don't understand why this happened or why this happens to me. Well, it's not supposed to be easy. I don't mind if you seek me in questions, but don't, don't question me. Make our efforts successful. And he even repeated it. So that we're, our prayer is that when we work hard, when we put all this effort towards him, that he will make it successful. Because, yes, there's a lot of talented people out there. There's a lot of pastors that get paid millions to write books and preach and, and do all that. But that's not success. If that's success, then why aren't we seeing it in the streets, in the neighborhoods? Why is gun violence going up? Why is you know, poverty going up? Why is all these things around us falling apart but yet our, they say their churches are growing. No, their, their salaries are growing, but there's no church growing. And so we pray that you know, Christ will make our efforts successful for his kingdom, not the ones we want, but the ones he wants. And you know, God loves to be comical at times. He loves the foolish thing. You know, things, you know a lot of the revivals that happened in Europe were started, um, they say, a, a little girl in a Sunday school class. They said, you know, how do you know that God has saved you? And she would get up, and she says, I don't have much to say, but I know the Lord God loves me, and he died for me. And that girl would go on to pray and lead to some of the revivals in Europe. Just a little girl. God enjoys the foolish thing. 
Like I said, Moses. What about Saul, who turned to Paul? Because he just, you know, did all this stuff to get transformed and, and made right, correct? No. God stopped him on the road to Damascus and said, you're a different man. Talk about unresistible grace. He didn't have to do anything. You know, the, the Welsh revival, which has come under criticism, because they said, well, after 10 years, you know, 10,000 people left the church. It's like, well, there was 100,000 people that came to Christ. What if we had 90% stay in the church today for 10 years? 90%. We call someone a member of a church if they go to church once every month. You know, and even the Azusa Street revivals, the, the pastors that he used and the, the people that he used were Methodist and, and people that didn't believe in, in works of, of, of Christ or that the Holy Spirit was going to move the way he did. What about David in the Bible? Talk about a foolish thing. A little 13-year-old boy is just a shepherd. He didn't have, you know, any obvious strength at the time. He didn't have any, you know, thing that would say, I want to follow that guy. They laughed at him when he came to, to slay the giant. They said, this is just a little boy. Go get me some water. And he said, no, I'm going to shut that giant up. What about John the Baptist? They said he was weird and strange. You know, he dressed really weird. And he ate locusts. It's just weird. But God can use a man that eats locusts. It said that John the Baptist... He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. He is big and powerful. He is an all-consuming fire. And that should make you live with confidence. That should make you ready to confess your sins when you realize how big your God is. That should make you want to seek God with questions to understand more about Him. Revival is not going to come because of a sermon or because of words or any man. It's going to come quick. Like I said, it's going to come like a, a pillar of fire. And, um, you know, I, I want you to know that I love each and every one of you guys. That y'all have been, it's, like, I just can't believe I'm sitting up here talking to you today. Like, if you know where I come from, and this will probably be my, what I say every time I preach, but, you know, I was a little shy kid that was, was, was scared to raise his hand in class and say, I'm here. I, I didn't want to be that kid. I was sitting in the corner. And the fact that now I have to coach and teach and, and even sometimes have to preach, that just baffles me that God could use someone like me. And uh, what I want to do now is I just want to close in prayer. You know, I think we've all had a long week and we've all have our own struggles we're going through, but just find comfort in Christ and seeking Him. Try to find time to just be quiet with God and see Him transform you and change you. And uh, if Jim, you'll come up and, and pray for us.